Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And we are your hosts. I am Greg Knott. And I'm Darren Laners. Well, it's just Darren and I tonight, and Bill Hostler may join us later. But Darren and I are really going to have kind of the sidewalk conversation we had the other day after the installation of the lodge officers at Ogden Masonic Lodge. And he and I were just talking about all kinds of things after lodge and and the way we did installation because of COVID was sort of on the fly. And I was the installing officer. And so I was reading the Illinois ritual as the installing uh, officer. And as I read through, especially the master's uh, charges, it just struck me how powerful of words those were and how relevant they were to so many things in life. And so Darren and I thought tonight we might dissect those a little bit and uh, just uh, delve into them. So Darren, as we talked in the, literally in the, on the sidewalk of downtown Ogden, Illinois, which is a small town of about 700 people, it just struck us that how big these words are in terms of you know, they're probably a few hundred years old, but yet they're still just as relevant in 2021. And to the master of a lodge, they really give some great framework for how that person should approach their work for that year or whatever their length of term is. And so let me, let me just read the first one for the sake of our audience. And then we'll just kind of highlight some of the other things as we, we go through. It starts at least where Darren and I are looking at, and it goes as this. As a man, he should be of improved integrity and irreproachable morals. Freed from the dominion of hasty temper and ill-governed passions, of good repute in the world and practicing, as an example to his brethren, the cardinal virtues of temperance, fortitude, prudence, and justice. You know, Darren, we were kind of talking off air. We wondered if those, if these words maybe came out and were written at a time when the United States was forming and they were under the, the tyrannical rule of the King of England. Yeah, or if it was even possibly English ritual or adopted from English ritual where some of the early members of the fraternity that were also uh, part of the Enlightenment movement looked at uh, their monarch and, and saw some qualities in their monarch that uh, weren't particularly becoming of a leader, if you will. So uh, one has to wonder if uh, what I guess what the impetus behind behind this was, but it is uh, obviously, especially for a master, when you are master of the lodge, you are the physical representation of that lodge. Every activity you do in the community, you are present for. Uh, you are the one that basically is. If there's any speaking done, you're the one doing it to uh, the community leader, so on and so forth. So I think it's important that uh, as a representation of the Lodge and part and parcel to Freemasonry that you are somebody who has integrity and that you have high moral fiber. You don't have temper. You're not blowing up on people. Uh, you know, you keep your passions in check and uh, you're you're a good person or you have good, re- says good repute in the world. Uh, I think, you know, we can just say in the community that you're somebody that has some level of respect within the community. Yeah. And it's sort of, as I think through this, 
It's a combination of a job description, a list of expectations, a set of goals that are really lofty, and uh, it's just all these things wrapped into one. And, and, and it goes on to the second one that says, as a citizen, he should be loyal to his government, obedient to its laws, prompt in the duties he owes to society, and a pattern of fidelity in all social and domestic relations. And I think what it's sitting out there is saying, once you're, and Darren, you were sort of talking about this, once you're out there in the community, you approach your work as a citizen, as a Freemason, you obey the laws, which, you know, we should all do as good citizen, prompt in duties he owes to society. And that could be a case where maybe you're involved with your kids at a school. Uh, you might be involved in scouting, could be involved with your church. Maybe it's the Lions Club or the American Legion or anything in that community. And so I think when it's, at least when I read it in society, it's, it's talking about those things outside of the lodge. And, you know, we've talked many times about sort of what is the purpose of Freemasonry, and it's making you better in the lodge. But if you're only using it inside those four walls and don't take it back outside, then in some ways you've not fulfilled your duty and your mission. And I think that's a little bit about what that's talking about. Yeah, I think you're kind of stealing my th some thunder from the article that I wrote for tomorrow's uh, Midnight Freemason. Uh, obviously, by the time this airs, the article will be out there. But I was talking about uh, the Masonic Visibility and Pride Day that we had yesterday. And I basically was asking the question, shouldn't every day be Masonic Visibility and Pride Day? I was exploring the idea as to kind of what you, what you said that uh, you know being a freemason doesn't stop when you exit the lodge you're not just a freemason when the lodge is in session you're a freemason all of the time and that you have to represent yourself as such and if you are going to be visible as a freemason you have to uphold the standards of the fraternity and that's not only just in the community but in other areas as well um any time that there's any community facing on social media or any other platform if you will uh, uh, you you want to make sure that you are upholding the tenets that, that we have been taught. And there's been all kinds of Internet discussions over the last few years of should we advertise, not advertise? Should we ask somebody to join or is it do they have to ask, et cetera? But I think, again, what you're hitting on is the best advertisement is oneself and to do these things that we learn in the lodge. And others will see your conduct and say, you know, maybe that's something I need to be a part of. And so in many ways, maybe our, our, our argument of, of how do we get more people is staring at us each day right in the mirror. And that is, as you said, Darren, it's our conduct after we leave, not just the, the lodge meeting night or the two hours you might be there, but the other 24-7, 365 uh, of being a Mason. Yeah, and, and another point I made in the article was that we need to stop being afraid of talking about Freemasonry. I think a lot of Freemasons take the obligations that we take to, quote-unquote, not reveal the secrets literally as being, we can't talk about Freemasonry, period. And I know this was more of a fact 
with the generation that was preceded us. Uh, if you talk to anybody, uh, my parents' age or even probably your age, Greg, that knew somebody as a Freemason, a lot of times they were reluctant to talk about it. And one of the things I try to do is, uh, as you know, for every St. Joe Lodge meeting, at least, I usually dress up in a suit. And if we're out having a meal prior to the meeting, you know, I'm sitting there in my suit and I'm sure it, it garners some attention. And the hope is that somebody will walk up to me and ask me, you know, why are you dressed why are you dressed up? And I can explain, you know, we have a lodge meeting and explain what Freemasonry is and isn't and not be afraid of talking about that. So that's that's the hope. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's talking about it doesn't mean evangelizing about it and in the sense of talking down to others that you're a Mason and they should be. Again, I think it goes to what this ritual is talking about, and that's being the example. And if you're the example, and I think in, in exactly what you said, if somebody, why do you have a suit on on Thursday night in the middle of August? Well, hey, well, let me tell you a little bit about it. And it's a great opportunity to be that advertisement for the craft. And there's no better way, I think, to pique someone's interest than to let them know a little bit about it. I think in some ways, and you could do an, an entire episode on this or more, We've been our own worst enemy because others have defined us, you know, outside of the fraternity over the course of hundreds of years. But yet we need to be prepared in the 21st century to be that example and to to be able to come up with a simple explanation as to why. And most of that is just simply our conduct, how we approach things. Yeah, absolutely. And just to that last point that you made on the on the reverse side, because there are so many conspiracy theories, etc., regarding the Freemasons, that's even more reason for Freemasons that are out invisible in the community or visible, making themselves visible on social media or out in the community that they act uh, with certain decorum because. With all the negative opinions, I guess, of, of what Freemasonry is or isn't, uh, I think that's extra important that we show the world what we're about. I, I completely agree. The, the third, the third one in this master's charge, as a Mason, he should cling to the old landmarks and be sternly opposed to their infringement, be desirous to learn and apt to teach, be prompt to aid and relieve, be ever mindful that, though elevated for a time above his fellows, he is elevated by them, and should therefore cultivate everywhere at all times the golden tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth. There's a lot packed in that paragraph. It, it's really starting out saying you're not coming into the master's chair to change Freemasonry. doesn't mean you won't improve your operations of your lodge. But it's talking about those old landmarks and sternly opposed to their infringement. And I read that as not so much you're afraid to change, but I think it's more of those high ideals that we've been talking about in your conduct and not lowering a standard, but trying to constantly live up to it. And so by not changing them doesn't mean that you're not adapting. What it's saying is we're keeping those high ideals across time because they're they're timeless and so what uh, what we're teaching you in the lodge is those things and so as for the master it's his duty to 
you know, help encourage the proper environment, the conduct, the, the teaching and learning and encourage others to, to participate in that as well. Yeah, another thing that stands out to me in that paragraph is be desirous to learn and apt to teach. And uh, I think, you know, an important part of being master is teaching. It is making sure that whoever your senior warden is, is going to be ready to take that chair the next year, uh, assuming they are elected. And, you know, in most lodges, I think it's a progressive line. So not only being a teacher, but then also able to learn. So taking the advice of others who have been masters or even uh, to a greater extent, listening to to your lodge, you know, making sure that everybody who has a voice and that everybody's voice is heard and where you can apply advice that is given and is good advice or advice that will positively impact the lodge doing so. Yeah. And, and it goes on to, to talk about, and I agree with exactly the way you laid that out is though you're elevated above your fellow Masons, uh, you're elevated by them. And what that tells me, it's, as we know, it's, it's a temporary change of status. And what comes with that is both an obligation, which you're literally taking the night you're installed as a master, but also an opportunity to do what you've talked about, Darren, and that's to help others behind you, but also to to take the advice of those that may have come before you and to, to put that into practice. But always remembering that even though you may be on the higher station, it literally just elevates you in terms of the office, but not in terms of your equality with them. And, and so you have a greater obligation to them in some ways than you did just being somebody sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, absolutely. Brotherly love, relief, and truth. And so we, we talk a lot about those, uh, and, it, and it calls them here the golden tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth. It's always hard to describe what is Freemasonry. Well, we're not a club. We're not a charity. We're not a religious organization. And but yet knowing these things and I think explaining sometimes people just watching you is the best explanation there is. These golden tenants, brotherly love, to me, brotherly love is taking care of each other. Relief is maybe you're in hard times fiscally. Maybe you're on hard times emotionally and reaching a handout and say, how is it I can assist you? Can I just listen to you? Can I help you in some way? And of course, truth is the third one. And the truth, as a Mason, all you have is your word and your bond. And so that goes back to the truth. And and I've watched Art DeHoyas and, and others talk about, well, why do you have these secrets? Well, the whole point of it is so that you keep your word. I mean, anybody can go look these up, but it's that you'll keep your word with somebody else. And so our rituals help uh, inculcate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I keep coming back to that definition of Freemasonry that T.S. Akers had put out that we talked about on our last episode. Freemasonry is an initiatic rite that teaches a system of ethics and morality aimed at putting them on the path to mature masculinity. The system of morality is presented to initiates three degrees, which are ritualistic plays. The intent is to awaken initiates to the highest ideas of manhood so that they can become good role models for their their family, their community, and their friends. And I think what that last paragraph is talking directly 
to that, to at least to the part uh, of, I guess you could substitute friends for brothers and friends and brothers. Uh, the tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth, those are tenets that a man who is mature is going to be able to live by. And that, that really strikes a chord with me. And, and I think part of his definition, as as I heard you read it, it reminds me that it's it's a progression of improvement that, and we can talk too about the masculinity, but that is a, a journey. It's not, I don't think it's just a destination in and of itself. And, and as you go through the degrees and then as you are active in the lodge and, and interface with brothers and, and do some research and, and learn from the education, you should be progressing in your own individual way to improve your maturity. And that may be in how you, in my view, act with others. Uh, again, to me, it's it goes back to one of these earlier paragraphs of what are you doing on the outside? And I think when I hear that, it's it's building that base for you to be a better man. Yeah, absolutely. And I touched on that definition. I also used it in the article because one of the things, as, as you know, that I, I've really been looking into is that idea of mature masculinity. What what does that encompass? What does that entail? And uh, I make the comparison between the idea of mature masculinity and our idea of the the rough and perfect ashler like the like the perfect ashler uh is always a work in progress the idea of becoming some a mature male is also a work in progress it's not just something that you can say oh i'm done you know i'm a, i'm a mature male it's it's something that you have to continually work at every day of your life and uh i think that's uh, at least to me, one of the things that that I like about Freemasonry is that it does that challenge to keep me on the straight and narrow, to keep me mature. And and am I always mature? No. I obviously I'm a human being. I, I sometimes have flights of my passions get get the best of me sometimes, and I have to you know recenter myself. But the goal I think at the end of the day as a Freemason is to leave the world a little bit better than you found it that morning. And at least that's what I try to do daily. Let me read further. As an officer, he should remember, first of all, that he is an individual Mason, sharing in that respect a common lot with his brother and therefore interested in the welfare of each and all. Be devoid of undue ostentation and haughty overbearing. Be accessible to all, cultivating the closest friendship and the most unlimited confidence with his associate officers. And be eager to take counsel with his brethren and ready to give it. Be ready to reward good and be devoid of favoritism and wholly impartial. When I, especially the beginning of that, what it's, to me, it's telling me as we were talking about earlier, you are that individual Mason. You are on this journey and be patient, be uh, maybe uh, deliberate. Don't get uh, caught up in petty things. Remember to keep yourself within due bounds. It says be devoid of undue ostentation and haughty overbearing. I think what it's saying is listen to your fellow brothers, listen to their concerns, find a way to assist them, and then they will reciprocate that back to you. And, of course, as master, it's saying and the most unlimited confidence with his associate officers. Well, I think what that's saying is I have confidence in you and your ability to perform your office. That doesn't mean that we won't help you with the ritual and the floor work and those things, but 
your brethren had confidence in you and I have confidence in you to put you in that officer station and I'm going to help you fulfill your duties. Also, just to end that, be ready to reward good, be devoid of favoritism and wholly impartial. So be able to compliment or accept a, a new idea and not fall into the trap of, well, we've always done it that way. So that's the only way we can do it. Be receptive to new ideas and be complimentary of them. And, and I think, you know, when it's saying reward good, being good, I think is often its own reward, but, uh, and the idea of a lot Lodge being good, I think, is uh, rewarding members that are being active and coming up with ideas and trying to help promote the lodge. And being a master of, of, of that, you have to be able to obviously recognize those ideas and when they're really good, be able to implement them and and as it says, reward good, but be able to compliment or not only compliment, but also uh, make sure that the person who, who came up with that idea has some investment in it, that they're helping with that implementation. And so we kind of finish up this part of the, the Illinois master's ritual with a paragraph that says, such are some of the most important qualifications the master should possess and the errors he should avoid. And it may be that most, if not all of us, have failed to reach this standard, but it is attainable. And be it your purpose to reach it and be a bright and shining example to those who shall come after you. So it knows it's going to be a tough journey for you, is what it's saying in my mind. Most of us won't get there, but that's okay. But it's saying with work, it is obtainable. And be it to, and it says, be it reach your purpose to reach it. And so I think it's trying to motivate the master, the individual, to be on that journey because, again, others are looking at you, and especially in the, in the progressive line of those who come after you, they want to, they may want to emulate the work that you've done. I think that's the hope, right? Especially in a progressive line that uh, you are taking on projects that the previous master had on his plate and that the guy coming up behind you is going to be able to continue projects that you implemented as master projects, programs, what have you. I'm saying projects just because I'm thinking of the situation at, at St. Joe with the roof uh, that we're, we're dealing with currently. But all that being said, just the having that, as you said, having that challenge to you to continue your work. And it goes back to the conversation uh, that we were having just before now regarding the uh, idea of mature masculinity or of the perfect Ashlar, that it is that change requires work and becoming a leader, especially the lodge, requires work. You just can't hop into the chair and expect great things to happen. And and I think in retrospect, there was much frustration on my part my first year at St. Joe because I had set expectations way too maybe high for myself. And my second time through the chair there, I realized that uh, I kind of have to go with the flow a bit more and just roll with the punches and not really 
you can set goals and you make sure that you can set goals that are attainable goals and not not think that you're going to change the world, which I think often uh, the first time you're master, you kind of have that naive attitude that, uh, oh, I'm going to do all these great things for the lodge. And uh, are you able to? I mean, if you have a lodge that is going to be able to back you 100%, absolutely, you as a first time master would be able to to make a lot of significant changes to to your lodge and your lodge experience. But in in my experience, change doesn't happen that fast. It, it happens slowly and it happens over the course of many years. It's just getting others to buy into similar philosophy that you have and uh, being able to implement that. And I think a perfect example, Greg, is what happened at Homer with education. Yeah, I agree. When I first went to Homer and you as well, really the meetings were what most people would probably find. It was the minutes. It was talking about funding the post-prom event, et cetera. And I think enough of us finally said, well, let me try an education piece. We did it one, two, three, four, five times. And then all of a sudden it became the expectation. And the master would look at Darren or me or Todd or whoever say, oh, well, you've got some education for tonight, right? Oh, well, yeah, let me let me do something. And I think what happened was the business, because you, you, you go to a meeting, it's like, well, we have to do something here. And so we have to talk about, you know, something to fill the time. And what we noticed was the amount of time on business rapidly consolidated because we were spending more time on education. And education wasn't just one of us standing in front of the lodge lecturing. It might have been at first. But what we've done is try to draw people out. What do you think? How does that affect you? Let me know. How did you interpret that? And all of a sudden, then it became an engagement process. Yeah, absolutely. The, the guided conversations that we've had uh, or had the ability to have at Homer have really, uh, I think, changed uh, a lot of people's minds there about education. And also, uh, you know, we kind of push them to think outside of the, the box sometimes and, and think think differently, I guess, about Freemasonry and, and some aspects or think differently about symbols that we're discussing or, or just to get uh, some of the, I guess, entrenched ideas out of their head and, and expose them to other points of view, if you will. Well, the other night at Ogden, after the meeting was over, uh, one of the members, he came to me and he said, because we had had a, I think I'd done an education two or three months ago. And part of what I was talking about was my deep concerns with social media and how we all act. And it was funny. He, he was listening to what I said and he said, you know, he had actually changed some of his approach on Facebook. And because he took to heart what we were saying. And so to me, I was like, oh, wow, you know, those, that's the win. That's the thing that motivates me, not because it was me saying it. It was like, well, here's exactly the point of the Masonic Lodge. We have some education and we all learn from each other. And then we take that back out of those four walls and apply it. And the other thing I was thinking about as we again talk through these as a manager, maybe in your workplace or. All these things that we talked about tonight are applicable in the workplace. I mean, the, if, if you managed or led by all of these points, you're going to be a superstar in the workplace too. But I think to Darren, your point earlier, it's an incremental change that we have to learn to have patience 
and bring others along with us. And I think, you know, what your point about the guided discussions has uh, proven that exactly. I think we both have discovered, Greg, that you can only impact Freemasonry at your local lodge level. It's it's so bureaucratic and so entrenched at uh, the Grand Lodge level that you're never going to really be able to make uh, very many changes. I mean, you could submit some amendments to the Constitution or bylaws and have them voted on, and maybe you are able to argue them successfully uh, in front of your brethren at Grand Lodge and, and get those passed. But uh, for the most part, the average Freemason, the only real direct influence he has on Freemasonry is in his lodge itself and uh, in your community, in your lodge. Those are the things where you can really make an impact and a difference. And, and instead of thinking on a global scale, I think the focus needs to be at the local level, locally, what can we do a to retain membership or get new members or improve the community or uh, improve ourselves as Freemasons or as men? And those are the things that we should be exploring in in the lodge. Completely agree. You and I have had the privilege of meeting most of the recent Illinois Grand Masters and. When you kind of get to have the one-on-one conversation and tell them about what we're doing in the lodge at the local level, you know, they're excited about it. They're like, yeah, keep it going. And, you know, that's that's where the difference is going to be made. Grand Lodge serves a, a very important function in terms of administration and kind of setting some expectations and standards. But I think to a T, every, at least the Illinois Grand Masters I've known, all would have said, it's what you're doing in that blue lodge. It's what you're doing with the one-to-one membership. It's what you're doing with uh, being part of the community. Because without the Blue Lodge, the local Blue Lodge, none of the rest of it exists. And really, the whole point of Freemasonry is local. You coming into the lodge and leaving a better person to impact your community and the world. Another thing that I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I've often kind of wondered to myself, if we made a requirement of every Mason that they had to be master of the lodge before joining an appendant body, would that make the appendant body stronger? I personally think so, because at least by that point, five years in, I think the average between joining and becoming masters, want to say five years, you would see a direct correlation to the experience that you've garnered in going and dedicating yourself to Blue Lodge for that time and it paying out more so through your experience, through the degrees of the appendant body. I, obviously in, obviously now in, in the York Rite and Scottish Rite, uh, I've seen a lot of the, some of the, those degrees multiple times. And every time I see them, I, I kind of step away with a new meaning, but often I do the same thing in, in the three Blue Lodge degrees that I'll notice something that I didn't notice before. The point being that uh, I think that with, with experience comes some knowledge and that that knowledge uh, applied might be more beneficial to the, to that Mason after he's had that experience at Blue Lodge. And like I said, I'm, I'm talking to myself, my own personal opinion. It's not something that I'm wishing dependent bodies to implement. I just, in retrospect, think, well, maybe I should have waited a bit longer before joining the Scottish Rite or before joining some other appendant bodies. But at the same time, I wouldn't trade the experiences I've had in, in the Scottish Rite for anything. It's point-counterpoint, I guess. There are pros and cons, as there are with anything. But on a whole, I think that maybe an individual Mason would benefit more 
by serving the Blue Lodge first and then going on to the shrine or whatever appendant body that, that they desire to join. I think anyone who gains more experience and at the Blue Lodge level would be even stronger in the appendant bodies. Uh, one other thought I want to put out here is, though we've talked about these uh, ideas in the terms of the, the master and, and the installation, you don't have to be the master of a lodge to live up to what's being said here. And, and, you know, you and I have known some brothers that they have no desire to be master of the lodge, but that doesn't mean that they're not great masons, and I don't mean ritualist. It's just they're living their life in a way that I can see is reflective of all these things we've talked about. So the ultimate journey doesn't have to be to be in the East. To me, the ultimate journey is self-improvement and, you know, making yourself a better man over time by using those things we talk about in, in Blue Lodge. Yeah, that's a good point. Point taken. That's something I didn't think of. Well, this has been a, a fun discussion. I think, uh, Darren, you've mentioned a lot. You have a, a lot of interest in the uh, masculinity uh, topic and maybe something we can do another episode down the road. But I hope our listeners uh, got something out of this because I sure did as we kind of broke those down. So, Darren, let me toss it to you for any closing comments. No, as, as you said, I think it's been a really great conversation and uh, a continuation of, of our conversation from, from the sidewalk, as you said. So uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoy all of our conversations. And as you said, I hope that the brethren listening also get something out of it. And uh, I hope that we're able to not only entertain, but also hopefully teach them something as well or educate as well. Well, we appreciate all of you, our listeners, and hope you enjoy these podcasts of Meet, Act, and Part. And you, too, can take those sidewalk conversations and talk to your brothers and, and grow from Freemasonry. And uh, reach out to us. We're on all of the social media platforms. And thanks to our, our good friend, Bill Hostler, who had some technical issues tonight. But uh, he does a great job on our social media, so if you are listening and want to reach out to us, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, essentially everything. So, again, we just want to say how much we appreciate all of you, and uh, we'll hope to see you real soon down the road for another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part.